Wake up. It's the Sleep Unplugged Podcast, episode 69, Somniloquy. Keep on talking in my sleep. Welcome everyone to the podcast. My name is Chris Winter. I'm a neurologist and sleep specialist and your host for this week's episode of the Sleep Unplugged Podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're a veteran of the podcast, welcome back. We're glad you're all here. Been a busy week. It was a fun week talking last time about perinatal health. That was a much bigger episode than I thought it would be. It's always interesting to put content out and see what resonates, what doesn't. I mean, perinatal sleep, last week's episode, really kicked sleep and football's butt from episode 64 when you look at listens and, and things of that nature. And that's so exciting to me, not that I have anything against football, but it's nice to know that people are out there paying attention to the fun stuff that we do on the podcast, as well as the more serious stuff. So that was a really, really special episode. And I'm, I'm glad so many people heard it and listened to it and found it to be positive. Appreciate all the feedback about it. So if you're new to the show, you can always get in touch with the show and offer comments, corrections, criticism, feedback, ideas for new shows. I got a great one that we're going to do for our next insomnia episode from a listener. And you can do that all through social media. You can find me at Dr. Chris Winner on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, threads, and Blue Sky. And I used to joke that nobody found me on Blue Sky, that I had zero followers, but that suddenly changed. I think Blue Sky is is opening up and, and people are finding one another and that's fun. So if you want to communicate with the show, you can DM me through any of those platforms. I've got two books, The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep's Broken and How to Fix It, as well as The Rested Child, Why Your Tired, Wired, or Irritable Child May Have a Sleep Disorder and How to Help. So those are out there as well. Got to speak to a bunch of professional chefs out in... Uh, Scottsdale, Arizona this week and want to say hello to all those uh, wonderful people. Really enjoyed spending time with you. And finally, we have a YouTube channel. If you're interested, all the videos that we put on here, the, the podcast, there is a video that goes along with it of, of, of essentially me talking. So if you want to watch things on there, you can certainly do that. And the final thing is we always talk about a little bit of music at the beginning of each show. All the songs that we reference on the Sleep Unplugged podcast are on Spotify, on the Sleep Unplugged Spotify playlist. Volume one is all the music from our first season, and we are now deep into volume two. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Always like to highlight a listener's question, comment, concern. This one came from Raina, and I thought it was germane to what we we're talking about today with sleep talking. She wrote, the morning after a sleepover, this was back in 2006, Raina's friend told her that she could hear herself making odd noises. I was even told by my family that I sleepwalk and sleep talk too. Then four years ago, I decided to record my sleep. And that's when I realized I'm producing three sounds when I sleep. Number one, I snore. Number two, she realizes that she has sleep-related moaning or catathrenia that we have talked about in previous episodes. Um, that was a really popular one. And that she also sleep talks. 
And now she's feeling very self-conscious because she sometimes falls asleep on her commute on the way to work or when she goes on out-of-town trips with colleagues and friends. So, well, Raina, we're, we're, we're glad that you're taking steps to investigate your sleep and find out what's going on. Hopefully, this episode will be helpful in terms of the sleep talking. As I said before, we have, we have communicated about catathrenia um, in the past. That was an episode we did um, that was back in January, episode 30. And then the snoring we've talked about as well, too. That was episode 29, actually. So we have now covered all of Raina's three different sounds that she makes. So hopefully, Raina, you're listening to this and finding some, some help. So our song this week is, it's actually a lyric, Keep On Talking In My Sleep. This was from the song, Can I Get a Witness, that was originally recorded by Marvin Gaye in 1963, the late, great Marvin Gaye. Uh, this was the first song that appeared on his 1964 Greatest Hits album. This was the album that followed his first three albums. And you got to go back and look at some of the titles of Marvin Gaye's album, some of his earlier works. They're just great. His third album is probably my favorite. It was called When I'm Alone, I Cry, which, which I can relate to for sure. I think I do that quite a bit. I was just talking with somebody about crying this week. Um so I, I just love these old 1960 album titles. You know, they often kind of give a little slice, a little peek into the life of the artist. And when Marvin was alone, he cried. Uh, Eddie Holland wrote the song. He wrote a lot of Marvin Gaye songs, wrote a lot of Motown songs. And he and Marvin would often get into it because he would often write songs in keys that were difficult for Marvin to sing. But when he heard Eddie sing... Um, can I get a witness for the first time? He said, I got it. And they played, they recorded. And according to Eddie Holland, Marvin Gaye recorded it in one take. And it was, it's, it's amazing. You've never heard it. And a lot of artists really think highly of the song. A year later, the Rolling Stones recorded it on their first album entitled The Rolling Stones. I see Springfield, Stevie Wonder, Sam Brown. The Supremes actually sang background on the track, Diana Ross, uh, Mary Wilson, blanking on the, the other Supreme. Um, they re later recorded it as well too, but it was not available on an album until like the you know, late eighties that you could find it. Um, even Elton John sang it during his Live Aid performance. And you can find that on, on there as well too. So great song. Could have gone with a lot of other songs. Uh, the Romantics did a song, Talking In Your Sleep, which I just never liked. It just always irritated me. It's one of those songs when it comes on the radio it gets turned off immediately. It's like boys are back in town. That's another one for me that I just, I can't hear it. So I, 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 we should do an episode of like the, the, the songs that when you hear them, they're immediately turned off because you just can't stand them. Anything by UB40, my wife just thinks is the worst. Um, John, there's an artist, a, a very not well-known artist named John Bongiovi who recorded an album called The Power Station Years. And the last song on that album was Talking In Your Sleep. And that was, of course, John Bon Jovi. And the station, uh, the recording studio where he recorded in the Power Station is a New York City studio right there between 9th and 10th on 53rd, where a lot of famous artists went to record. 
um, Roxy Music recorded Tattoo or Avalon, Rolling Stones Tattoo You. We we mentioned the song Why Worry in a recent podcast by Dire Straits off of Brothers in Arms. It was recorded there. And to relate everything back to David Bowie, which I like to do, he recorded both Scary Monsters and Let's Dance at Power Station. And one more piece of music trivia related to sleep talking. Do you know the two members of BTS that have gone on record saying that they sleep talk? If you answered V and Jin, you would be right. So there we go. So let's get into some Niloqui. I'm going to begin with probably the most famous piece of sleep talking that's ever been recorded in history. <clears throat> out damn spot, out I say, one, two. Why then this time to do it? Hell is murky, fie, my lord, fie a soldier and a feared. What need we fear? Who knows it when none can call our power to account? Yet who would have thought the old man to have had so much blood in him? That, of course, is the famous out damn spot soliloquy by Lady Macbeth, who is actually speaking in her sleep. She and her husband, Macbeth, had visions of power. They thought that he was going to be named King of Scotland. Uh, based upon all of his heroic acts, he comes back. And instead, he is named Thane of Caldor, despite being told by the weird witch sisters that he one day would be king. So Lady Macbeth, to speed this process up, has him kill the king. And of course, he ascends to the throne, but she is mentally tormented by this as well as the loss of her child. And so we have uh, what has gone down in literature anyway as the most famous episode of Sleep Talking. So let's get into Sleep Talking or somniloquy, which is the technical term for the disorder, which is probably, if you look at sleep disorders, the most common. I've never really seen it ranked that way, but if you think about the fact that, you know, 50% of children are probably having an episode of somniloquy at least once a year, there's a huge population of individuals who've talked in their sleep. So it's probably the most common sleep quote unquote disorder, even though we often view it less as a disorder and more of as a normal variant or an acceptable sleep variant. So when you look at parasomnia, generally, when you look at this disorder, sleep talking or somniloquy, it's considered a parasomnia. And we've talked about parasomnias before. We just mentioned catathrenia. We finally got our lazy uh, selves uh, around to talking about REM behavior disorder a few weeks ago and how important it is to distinguish that parasomnia. We've talked about sexsomnias before, sleep paralysis very early in the podcast. So you all should be very familiar with parasomnias and how we sort of divide them into REM-related parasomnias and non-REM. So technically speaking, sleep talking or somniloquy is generally considered a non-REM parasomnia. Could sleep talking happen during REM sleep? Yes, it can, Generally, when it's happening a lot during REM sleep, it's often related to REM behavior disorder. And like I said earlier, we have spoken about REM behavior disorder. We just talked about it finally in episode 65 uh, a few weeks ago. 
and the importance it is to sort of understand what that is. Now, one way you can sort of discern, well, I'm, I'm hearing my partner speak or I'm recording myself speak uh, as Raina did. How do you know? Is it happening during REM sleep or is it happening during non-REM sleep? But one indicator can be during REM sleep, the vocalizations are usually more intelligible. You're actually saying things. Generally during non-REM sleep, it tends to be more muttering, unintelligible. Sounds like my kid is speaking in tongues. Uh, my, we had a, uh, one of our kids spoke in his sleep uh, quite a bit uh, until his tonsils were taken out. And it always seemed, you know, to some degree intense but you really couldn't you know, figure out exactly what he was saying. The other thing that might give you a clue is that if you awaken during the speaking, so if you scream out or do something and that actually awakens you and you become conscious, were you dreaming? Like, oh my gosh, I, I was yelling and, and dreamt that I was you know, encountering somebody or trying to speak to somebody. So maybe in the dream, you were speaking to a friend but in real life, it's more of a muttering or a murmuring. That really has a lot more to do with, with um, non-REM parasomnias. So it's, again, one of the most common sleep disorders. If you look at children, about half of them are going to be doing some form of sleep talking at least once a year. As they get older, generally, this should become a less frequent occurrence. And by the time you're in your mid-20s, it generally is not happening at all for most. So it's something that you generally see a decline in as individuals get older. It can go along with kids who have enuresis. And I definitely want to do a, a, a podcast about enuresis. We'll add that to the list or bedwetting. Um, it doesn't have to be just with kids. We see a fair amount of adults who, who wet the bed as well too. Um, when you look at the relationship between enuresis and sleep talking, of kids who have enuresis, enuretic children, kids who wet the bed, about 25% of them are going to sleep talk as well too. So you're getting the, the, the feeling that these individuals might have something that's disturbing the nature of their sleep, causing them to awaken, talk in their sleep, wet the bed, et cetera. Enuresis, I'm sorry, somniloquy is generally more common in boys, but you can certainly see it in both genders. But uh, strictly speaking, it's usually something that we do tend to see a little bit more in, in male uh, individuals. So when you look at sleep talking, research going back even into the 60s basically said that, look, sleep talking seems to be to some degree hereditary. So when I see children who talk in their sleep, it's very common that parents talk in their sleep. Now you might say, well, sure it is because you just said 50% of them are going to sleep talk, but there are definitely linkages there that, that parents who were sleep talkers when they were young are much more likely to have kids who are sleep talkers. And I think the same research is true for enuresis. If you were a bedwetter, um, it's very likely that you're, that, that could be hereditary and, and, and pass along. It can be common, even if neither parent were sleep talkers, again, just because the incidence of the disorder is so common. And a large portion of people that were looked at back in the 60s begin their sleep talking later in life. So it's almost a secondary, we call it secondary enuresis when 
a child was wetting the bed when they were little and then they stopped and, and they're dry for several years. And then all of a sudden they start wetting the bed again. That's different than a child who never stopped wetting the bed and made it to the age of nine and is continuing to have enuresis. So there is a secondary sleep talking as well too, that we can see in adults. And a lot of times those individuals had no history of sleep talking when they were young. So what are the risk factors for sleep talking? What are some things that might be present that would lend themselves or lead an individual to talking in their sleep? I think a big one is stress. And there have been studies, several studies that showed that individuals with extreme stress, you know, PTSD, are twice as likely to talk in their sleep as individuals without it. So anytime you know, your children are staying up late studying, they've got projects going on, hockey tryouts are coming up, any, you know, anything that's creating stress or anxiety, a big dance, or, you know, you're going to have to make the big poster and hold it up and see if the, your partner wants to go to the, the, the spring formal with you. Maybe that's creating anxiety. I don't want that person to say yes or no. I'm nervous. They'll reject me. You know, all those things, anything that's creating stress in an individual's life, could lead to sort of temporary sleep talking. And I think a lot of people that we see in our clinic would, would describe that, you know, when we're going through tax season as an accountant or, you know, whatever, a lot of travel, uh, those individuals seem to talk more. So one thing that we can do to alleviate sleep talking is try to create less stress and relieve stress in individuals who are having a lot of it. Depression can certainly do it as well too. Alcohol is a big one. A lot of people talk in their sleep after they've had uh, they've consumed alcohol. Uh, I think a lot of behaviors and parasomnias can follow alcohol, including sleep disordered breathing, more snoring, more sleep apnea, more resistance within your airway to breathing. So all of these things are going to fragment and create arousals during sleep. And when you've got an individual with more arousals during sleep, you're often going to see more parasomnias fever. That's a great one. I like that idea of the individual who's got the high fever and they're kind of, you know, in and out of consciousness in the movie. And they're kind of, Papa, Papa, are you there? And, you know, Papa's been dead for 20 years, but they're seeing Papa in their fever dream and trying to communicate with them and the family standing around the bed with a little wet washcloth on their forehead, trying to get the fever down <laughs> because the person is clearly in the throes of a delusional state because of their sleep talking. So anything that's causing fever can certainly do it. And I'm going to jump ahead to seizure. Seizure is certainly something that's often can cause or even be mistaken as sleep talking. And we know fever is a risk factor for seizure too. So fevers, trying to deal with them, getting somebody's fever down, getting them cool can be very helpful in terms of uh, reducing the incidence of sleep talking. Sleep deprivation and other sleep disorders. We'll touch on a few other sleep disorders here in a minute, but sleep deprivation is a big one. Uh, and I would also throw in there unusual sleep schedules, shift work, you know, jet lag and travel. Those things can certainly be risk factors for sleep talking. And the final one I'll put in there is caffeine, particularly before bed, is often a risk factor for most parasomnias. Sleep talking is certainly one of them. So what are some other sleep disorders that could lend themselves to sleep talking? I think sleep apnea is a big one. Again, you can breathe, you can sleep, can't do both at the same time. So that sleep apnea patient is constantly 
awakening during the night, trying to catch their breath. And you can imagine this individual even struggling more during REM sleep. So as they dream, their airways collapsing, they're suddenly awakening during the dream and can have you know, vocalizations and talking during that time as well, too. I will go back. It's really interesting when you think about sleep deprivation and sleep schedule. I, soon after I graduated from undergrad, my wife graduated from grad school. We got married and went to Atlanta where I started medical school and she started teaching at Gwinnett Middle School in um, Gwinnett. Ah, what is that? I can't think of the I'm blinking on the, the county up there, sort of northeast of Atlanta. Anyway, it was hard. I mean, teaching's hard in general. And and she would come home just blasted by full-time teaching. And I remember several episodes of sleep talking that happened during that time that were just fascinating. We, you know, we were watching the X-Files or something and, and we turned the TV off and she started talking and I just thought she was awake, which is a common thing that happens when people are sleep talking. Some people are thinking, oh, they're just awake and we're having a conversation. But very quickly, the the conversation sort of turned and it was sort of the conversation was, hey, before you come to bed, could you just get the dead bodies off the lawn? And another time she said, what was the name of that restaurant? My wife went to grad school in Williamsburg at College of William and Mary. And she was like, what's the name of that restaurant that we used to go to? And I was like, I don't know. Which one are you talking about? She goes, oh, I know. It was Chocolate Chip Cookie. And I was like, I don't think there was a restaurant called Chocolate Chip Cookie. And she laughed and, and then kind of got frustrated. And that was the end of the conversation. The best one was she woke up at some point and said something like, and she was studying the Yucatan Peninsula with her kids. She was English and social studies. And she woke up at some point, she was like, oh God, my Yucatan peninsulas are so sore. And I knew that immediately that she was sleep talking. So I think that's, I mean, she's not a sleep talker. I can't think of many times since that time she's ever said anything, but wow, during that time of sleep deprivation, it, it was on. Restless legs, movement disorder is a very murky one as well too. Somebody with restless legs, or a movement disorder like Parkinson's disease. We know that's related to REM-related parasomnias like REM behavior disorder we talked about a few episodes ago. So that individual talking, is this truly a non-REM-related somniloquy? Is that REM-related speaking through REM behavior disorder that is part and parcel of a lot of movement disorders? So those things really get kind of tied up into that as well too. Um, Catathrenia is another one that can sometimes be sort of mistaken as sleep talking. We've talked about that as well, too. So what are some things that we can do about it here at the end of the show? Sleep diaries can be helpful. Some people think that, you know, logging down when you sleep talk, what you were talking about, what were the circumstances about it might lend you to think, oh, yeah, I noticed that I do this a lot on Sunday nights when I'm stressed about the upcoming work week. Or I notice I do it a lot on Saturday night when I stay out really late with my friends, something that I don't do during the work week. So sometimes sleep diaries can make us aware of patterns of behavior, medications we're taking, alcohol we're consuming that might be lending themselves to sleep talking. There was a study in 1979 where individuals could be cured of their sleep talking, and you could probably throw in many parasomnies with this, 
when they would play an, a, a noise or an unpleasant sound related to the sleep talking. So when the individual started sleep talking, a buzzer went off very much like the enuresis treatments we'll talk about in that where the little pad underneath the kid who is has enuresis, as soon as it gets a drop of moisture on it, a alarm that seems like it's coming from some place of eternal torture fills the house, wakes everybody up, including the child. And that's supposed to sort of make them aware of that urge to go to the bathroom and help them hold it until they can wake up and go to the bathroom. So they did a very similar experiment, therapeutic treatment with unpleasant sounds and showed that you could in fact alter the sleep talking with that. I think a sleep study is something that should be considered in anyone who is sleep talking and feels distressed about it. If you're like, look, I sleep talk once in a while and the things I talk about are similar to what your wife was talking about or you know whatever, it's no big deal. Nobody really cares. It gives us all a great laugh. I sleep wonderfully. I feel great during the day. I don't know that much really needs to be done, which is usually the advice that's given. But if somebody's saying, look, I do this a lot or I never did it, but starting last year, I am sleep talking a lot. I don't think there's any reason not to see a sleep specialist and potentially consider a sleep study. And I would throw out there, I'm in favor of, of home sleep studies. They're fine. They're great for sleep apnea. If there's a high incidence or a high probability of sleep apnea, yeah, go for it. This is probably the kind of study that should be done in the lab. If you're you know teasing out the cause of somniloquy, that's probably a better in-lab study than home sleep study, unless there's a lot of indicators pointing towards the idea that you might have sleep apnea, and we feel like the sleep apnea is actually what's ultimately causing the sleep talking. The last one I'll put out there is cognitive behavioral therapy, which we've ended the show on a lot. It's a good treatment for a lot of sleep disorders. There was a a study in behavioral neurology called, or a paper in behavioral neurology called Behavioral and Cognitive Behavioral Treatments of Parasomnias. And they go through a whole bunch of parasomnias and show sort of limited evidence in these small studies that were not controlled. And uh, that, you know, there's some evidence that, hey, this might work for somniloquy. Somniloquy wasn't actually specifically singled out as a parasomnia, largely because a lot of people don't treat it. But my guess is the overall result that you saw for that story could be applied to an individual who's dealing with somniloquy. So I, I think that cognitive behavioral therapies could be helpful for individuals as well, too. I think hypnosis has been thrown around uh, for that as well, too. Um, anyway, so that's it. We'll have some great versions of Can I Get a Witness on the Spotify Sleep Unplugged Playlist Volume 2. So if you're on Spotify, uh, subscribe to that playlist and listen to our songs. If you have any comments, corrections, criticisms, or something interesting that you've been told that you spoke about in your sleep or somebody that you know is talked about in their sleep, we need a good sleep talking story that we can share on the next episode or during some video during the week. But that's it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode on sleep talking and somniloquy. My name is Chris Winner. You can find me on DR Chris Winner Instagram, DR Chris Winner Twitter, DR Chris Winner Threads, TikTok, Blue Sky. Find our videos on the Sleep Unplugged podcast on YouTube. 
We always really appreciate subscriptions, reviews of the podcast. If you have time to do one, we'd really appreciate that. And that's it. If you have any other questions, feel free to hit us up. But until next week, sleep well.